Upon the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, welcome back. We're in the year 2014, and this is a new year, and the first of our shows in this new year. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator of Current Issues in the Constitution. And today, um, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, that is Media Angels. And Media Angels is the producer of the wonderful American History and American Government Curriculum, uh, specifically for our homeschoolers. Both of these are video sets. Uh, the history is, uh, I believe it's 62 videos. I'm doing this off the top of my head. And the American government is 31 videos. And these were all uh, taught specifically for homeschoolers by Professor Wilson, who is our guest today. So welcome, Professor Wilson, who is uh, uh, enjoying nine degrees in West Virginia this morning. <laughs> Okay, thank you, Felice, and uh, hello, everyone, and I second Felice in welcoming you back. 2013 has indeed come and gone. A very, very interesting year, um, a lot of news, a lot of attention to current issues, a lot of conflict and uh, in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere, and um, a lot of dysfunction, I think we uh, see in the federal government. Uh, especially with the rollout of the uh, Affordable Care Act, but other things as well. So here we are in 2014, January the 8th, and um, I want you to notice something that has already started. In fact, it started in December. We haven't talked about it yet. But basically, um, Democrats, the Obama administration, liberals, uh, that collective group are going to do everything they can to change the national discussion. Now and up to the election of this year, 2014, congressional election, pay attention as Obama and friends and his minions in the media, and I'm talking about NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, uh, MSNBC, the New York Times, several other magazines and uh, newspapers, online, moveon.org, several other blogs, and these people collectively who are a part of this liberal agenda will try to pivot your focus away from the Affordable Care Act and the fiasco that it created to the concept of, it's an old concept, and if you've been following the news, you have probably already heard it. It's called income inequality. Now remember that somewhere between 65 and 75% of the American people get their news from the 
media outlets that I just listed. So they have quite a propaganda machine. Now, all the people that a lot of the people that get their news from these um, <clears throat> you know, these these kinds of broadcast stations are people that don't have cable. They don't want cable. They can't afford cable. There's a lot of really bad stuff on cable, uh, worse than you find in, in the broadcast types of media. So not everybody that, that gets their news from NBC, let's say, is going to toe the line and agree with everything NBC says. So, But nonetheless, an awful lot of Americans will. So in, income inequality, and this is this will be this is their attempt. I mean, they cannot they they are going to lose big time in November of 2014 in that election, if the media and the American people continue to focus on the terrible things that are happening to people because of the Affordable Care Act. So, divert the attention to income inequality. Now, when they ran for president in 2008, President Obama mentioned this, we're going to redistribute the income. We're going to take it away from the people that earn it and give it to the people that don't earn it and therefore need it. Uh, it's a basic tenet, basic concept of both socialism and communism. And socialism, let's say, is a watered-down form of communism. And this is one of the most important aspects of socialism is that you redistribute the wealth. Take it away from working people, whether they're middle class or wealthy, and put it into programs for the lower middle class and the poor. So they're going to really focus on this. As a matter of fact, uh, one journalist noted that President Obama mentioned and talked about income inequality 26 times in December alone. I'm also hearing it from Democratic senators. I am also hearing it from uh, talking heads um, in various uh, liberal medias. I tune into them. I go to their websites and see what they're saying, see what they're talking about. So this is uh, basically part of that group's agenda. So pay attention to that over the next uh, few weeks and start um, – I know politics is a messy, ugly thing, and you probably would just rather turn your back on it, but it is so desperately important to the future of this nation. Uh, do pay attention uh, to the campaigns, the political campaigns, and, and listen to this rhetoric that they're going to spew on income inequality and reducing that inequality uh, income gap, they're going to talk about soaking the rich, they call it, and uh, those very, very greedy, uh, wealthy people, and so on and so forth. And one thing I've noticed over the years, um, and I've been around for a while, is that every time Democrats say, we're going to raise taxes on the rich, and they have Congress in the White House and they do so, my taxes go up, and I am anything but rich. Uh, so it's just a muse, it's just political. It is just sometimes astonishing and, and often very, very discouraging how dishonest these people can be. Now, I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans both. How they, how they use deception in a political environment to get our support or at least our acquiescence and to get reelection. 
reelected. So watch and let's see if they are successful in pivoting the nation's attention away from the Affordable Care Act. And there's some terrible things and some very painful things that are going to happen to Americans before the election. Let's see if they can pivot the attention away. Uh, sometimes we call it wagging the dog. Okay? All right. Now, a few things have happened uh, since we talked to, uh, together last um, in the latter part of December of 2013. In January the 1st, uh, several new laws went into effect, most of them innocuous and probably not worthy of spending any time on. But one big one that really stands out probably more than all of the others, and I'm talking about state law and federal law, was the Colorado Marijuana Law. They basically legalized the sale of marijuana. So you can go to a store and you can buy marijuana, the same as you can buy Coca-Cola or or hamburger. You have to be 21 years old and you cannot have a criminal record. I understand. I don't know how they're going to enforce that. They're going to do a background check every time somebody walks in, and that would take forever in a bureaucratic process, so I doubt that. So if you're 21 years old and you have an ID that says you're 21, you're probably going to be able to buy pot. I was hoping this thing would fall on its face, but in fact... We hear today on January the 8th, seven days later, that stores are already running out of marijuana. So apparently it is a very, very popular thing. Now, I'm not saying that the majority of the people in Colorado are running to the stores to buy their pot. Um, it's probably a minority, and it's probably hopefully under 20%, but it's still an awful lot of Americans, it's several million. The state of Washington also passed a marijuana law legalizing it, basically, and um, it doesn't go into effect until later this year, I believe. I'm not sure exactly when it does, but it's not in effect right now. So uh, people are reacting against it, especially conservatives, uh, churches, even liberals, some liberals. Uh, Tina Brown, for example, who is a former editor of the, of the political magazine Newsweek, says this, and I quote, Legal weed contributes to us being a fatter, dumber, sleepier nation, even less able to compete with China. Wow, she brought that up. Um, uh, we are in competition with China, uh, yeah, without question. And there's a sort of an adversarial relationship between the United States and China uh, in many, many different aspects of our foreign policy and of, of world uh, uh, dynamics, geographic dynamics, that are going to have a profound impact on the future of the planet. So... While the Chinese are emphasizing, and of course their drug laws are very, very strong and punitive. You don't want to be caught using drugs in China. In the United States, no big deal. You can buy it legally. Uh, you can go to Colorado, for example, and you could probably buy it in your own hometown without any. There's very little law enforcement on this, especially when the president of the United States um, sets the tone and basically says that he's not really all that interested as the chief executive of the nation in enforcing drug laws. He said that he said that right out loud. I mean he's not even trying to conceal it. So law enforcement takes its cue from the chief executive and enforcement is very, very difficult. 
I understand from a neighbor, uh, she is a police detective, and she is just dumbfounded and appalled with the tremendous growth of drug use amongst teenagers in our county, in our little city. She said it's, it's just out of control and it's almost impossible to enforce the law. And it, this whole thing reminds me of a book I read once, and maybe you have read it. It's um, written by George Orwell, and the name of the book is 1984? Something, 1984, I think. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. But um, I read it when I was in college about 50 years ago. And I do remember clearly that the government, uh, a big brother government had been established, a big powerful totalitarian government that controlled every aspect of the people's lives. And one of the things that the government did to continue that control was to flood the market with cheap alcohol and drugs. So going back to what Tina Brown says, Legal weed contributes to us being fatter, dumber, sleepier. She could have said apathetic, more apathetic, uh, because drugs do that. So I just wonder, is this part of the agenda to establish socialism in America, to dumb down the American people as much as possible, to make them subject to control, and allow the federal government to grow its power. I just wonder um, if Orwell was right. Uh, he um, basically saw the future, it sounds like to me. Another point is this, that um, federal law has long ago established that marijuana and other narcotics are illegal. So this Colorado law is in conflict with federal law. But Obama's Department of Justice has said out loud for everybody to hear that they're not going to interfere with Colorado's law. In other words, they're not going to enforce federal law. And that goes back to Obama. If Obama said to Eric Holder, the Attorney General, uh, go after Colorado, then, then the Department of Justice would. But apparently um, Obama has told the Department of Justice, leave it alone, let it go. He is not going to enforce federal law at this point. Now, in, re in connection with this, a new study has been released within the last few days by the National Institute of Health. And here are some of the main points. Teenagers using marijuana before age 18 are about four times more likely to develop psychosis, teenage psychosis. And when I think of this, I think of the Newtown uh, massacre at the Sandy Hook Elementary School and, and others uh, that we've seen in the last couple of years, uh, just mental, mental impairments. And I wonder, and I hope a study will be done, of the people who did these horrible things, um, what is their drug history? When did they start using marijuana? And did they graduate to cocaine and heroin and, and other other things? What impact is this having? Are, are, 
are American people, innocent American people, including children, 20 children uh, and staff members at Sandy Hook were murdered by a mentally ill young person. And um, I just, I've got to say, I think that when we start legalizing drugs, that for several reasons, some of which I just covered, we are going in the wrong direction. Also in the National Institute of Health, one in six kids who try marijuana will become addicted. Now, in the fall of 2013, there were about 50 million uh, students entered their schools in public elementary and secondary schools. And of that 50 million, about 14.8 million are going to be in grades 9 through 12. And this is when drug use typically begins, although sometimes earlier. So one in six of 14.8 million is 2.5 million per year. 2.5 million young people are going to become addicted to marijuana and in 10 years, that will be 25 million. That's still a minority, but it's a, it is a very large minority. And also keep in mind, what we all know is that marijuana is what's called a gateway drug. After you've used marijuana for I don't know how long, months or whatever, then you're going to graduate to something a little more powerful to something that gives you a more powerful experience. And meth or uh, cocaine or opium or heroin, all of which are available uh, in, our, in our cities, in our towns, then uh, you are in deep trouble. Your life is basically ruined. Now, you, you guys have already heard, don't use drugs, don't use alcohol. Let me second that. That's a horrible mistake. I mean, you'd have to be, you would have to be some degree of stupid uh, to get into either one of those things. Also from the NIH, 23% of high school students, 23%, a large minority, 3.4 million American seniors in high school admit they have used marijuana recently. All right, so we have a growing epidemic. Okay, 77% have not, and that's a supermajority. So I think, you know, we don't have to panic and say, oh, it's all over, America's going down the tubes and all of that stuff. 77% uh, refuse the use of drugs, but that 23% is a growth. And I haven't looked it up, but I can guarantee if you go back to 1960, that 23% of high school seniors that have used marijuana recently, that would have been 1%. And probably in 1970, it would have been around 3 or 4%. Well, now, after a few decades, it's 23% and apparently growing. Mm -hmm. And now you even have states legalizing the use of marijuana. This right. has to stop. It has to stop. And you and I have to be a part of the force that makes it stop. Okay, and another, you know, let, one more thing real quick. Police. And, sure. you know, one of the great problems is that the media, we see it in the media, celebrities, Hollywood, constantly promoting and glamorizing the use of drugs. So that's the situation. It's a, it is an issue. It's a current issue. It will continue, and you and I have to get involved in this fight.
Okay, very good. We've got a couple of questions here. One is more of a comment um, in the chat room, and one was a question that came in. And um, so I'm going to read you both of those if I can, and then um, give you some time to formulate your questions, okay, or your answers. Okay. So the first question was, um, how is the legalization of marijuana different than the legalization of alcohol? And um, I think what they're talking about was there was a big prohibition um, and before the legalization of alcoholic drinks. And so um, that's the question. And then I want to read the comment as well. And the comment in the chat room says, um, it is just like alcohol. Some become an alcoholic on the first drink, which is sad. We were told here in our town, and, and she lives in a small town, that most 14-year-olds in our school system are drinking and smoking now. How do they get it if it's illegal? And it would have to be given by parents or, I guess, uh, people that have um, false IDs as well, I'm sure. And then after you answer uh, this question, Woody, uh, we'll take a quick commercial break. Okay, now which question do you want me to answer? How um, is it I different? Think, how, yeah, how is it different, um, the marijuana law being passed um, as with alcohol, with the prohibition, people were saying basically the same things that we're saying with marijuana? Uh, that's, that's a very good question. Um, and I've, I've heard this argument before. In fact, I he heard this argument oh, 30 years ago, why not legalize pot? It's... Uh, no worse than alcohol. Well, I would contend that it is a lot worse than alcohol. Uh, when you um, uh, use marijuana, you are inhaling uh, stuff into your lungs, um, and I have forgotten everything that you will find uh, in marijuana. But I do remember the um, statistic that one, the effects on your lungs, one marijuana cigarette or joint, they call it, marijuana joint, is equivalent to a pack of cigarettes. That's 20 cigarettes. So it has a tremendous um, effect on your health um, and, and, of course, on your brain. Uh, what Tina Brown said, that we become dumber, we become sleepier, that's true. It's a proven fact that marijuana basically destroys short-term memory. And when you lose short-term memory, you have no long-term memory gains of any kind. And it does become permanent. It has a great deal more powerful effect on dumbing down the brain than does alcohol. Now, if you drink, um, uh, let's say, a, a bottle of beer, it's pretty well gone within 24 hours. But that's not true with marijuana. Also, mm. Nobody, I have never heard anybody argue, and I suppose it could be argued, um, it would be an interesting argument. I've never heard anybody argue that alcohol is a gateway to something else, but marijuana definitely is. And, you know, people aren't going aren't to stay with the effects, you know, what they call getting high from marijuana right. when they can get more from cocaine or meth or uh, lots of other things. Um so I would I would say that those are some of the differences, but the thing that bothers me, um, maybe instead of talking about legalizing marijuana because alcohol is already illegal, how about we don't legalize marijuana and find ways to restrict alcohol consumption, um, mm -hmm. and maybe even make it illegal again the way they did back in the early early 20th century. That's a very good question, and it's a very good discussion, and. Um, 
a lot of um, convincing information on both sides of that issue. Right. Okay, Woody, we are going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a moment. I'll be here. What happens when you learn about the fabulous facts of American history? Add notable presidential events and a good measure of the U.S. Constitution? Well, you get a history class that is informative and has no rival. See 64 hours of video taught by AP-level instructor and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson, were recorded with a live audience. Now available on demand on your time, you can view this class in the comfort of your own home. This video course comes with instruction, handouts, and the tools you need for a high school level course that can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Especially designed for the homeschool audience and published and produced by Media Angels, a company you have learned to trust with the goal of excellence in education. Need more information? Sure. Go to MediaAngels.com or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and order your set today. Your kids will thank you. Hi and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz and I am the moderator of the Current Issues and the Constitution show. And today we are talking about many things uh, that are happening um, in our world, and we are also available to take questions from our audience. So as you have questions, please send them through um, or submit the question for the event box on our website. If you're listening to this in the archives, we welcome you to join us at currentissuesandtheconstitution.com, and you can join us live every Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time on our website and ask your questions. Well, Woody, um, what else are you going to be discussing today? I, I wanted to uh, uh, wrap another another uh, study that's been released that goes to uh, behavior of young people, uh, okay. mostly teenagers. And, and again, I would emphasize um, in reaction to the discussion that we just had, stay away from drugs, stay away from alcohol. Right. Don't, good. don't go there. Um Another study that has come out uh, from the American Academy of Pediatrics, reputable organization, has to do with cell phones and texting. This study shows 75%, that surprised me, 75% of teenagers own cell phones, and nearly all of them are texting. One-third of that 75%, that's a pretty large number, that's several million, send more than 100 messages per day. Now, what about you? Do you have a cell phone? Do you have a smartphone? Do you text? Are you sending a, or send and receive, send and or receive, 100 messages per day? Okay, keep that in mind. 66% of these teenagers with cell phones say that parents impose no rules whatsoever. So they can oppose, they can text all day and all night if they want to. Now, in addition, the University of Winnipeg published a study that shows that teenagers who send more than 100 messages per day are significantly less likely to see ethics, morality, and principles as being important. And I've got some conjecture as, as to why that's true, but I don't want to talk about it. This is something I want to look up and study, um, because when I first read it, I thought, what? 
mm-hmm. using texting uh, decreases your likelihood of being ethical, moral, and principled? How? Why is that? Um, so nonetheless, it's, it's a study by a reputable university, and it's something that we have to give attention to. So basically, if this is true, and uh, I don't doubt that it is, as we look at America today, we see that young people in, in America are combining drugs, alcohol, and technology basically to run away from reality. Now, what does their future look like if that's where they're going to go? And what does that do to America? And what does that do to you and I? Are you and, are you and I less safe because of the growth of these kinds of deleterious behaviors that we're seeing? And by the way, um, I would like to also advise you to stay away from multitasking uh, when you're doing your work. Uh, studies, there are several studies, and I've been reading them since about 1999 or 2000, that if you are studying, let's say, vocabulary, you have the TV set on, and you're texting or checking your email, you are not focused on the vocabulary and your level of learning is going to decrease. And these studies recommend that you find a nice, quiet place, get a pure 100% focus on the work that you're doing, the learning that you're involved in, and maximize your learning. So don't do the multitasking thing. Turn the phone off. Can I jump in right here? So for one thing, I want to say as a business owner with a smartphone, I I don't send anywhere near that many messages. And that's amazing because I use my phone for business. Um, And my children don't either because we do monitor. (laughs) We do monitor our kids' devices. The second uh, thing I want to jump in here, but I I think that's appalling and I'm interested to hear your research on the why, Woody. I think I have some of my own conjecture, but it's good to research. And hopefully our audience will do that as well. and also, I want to let our audience know that if you listen to this broadcast, whether you're listening um, somewhere else besides our website on iTunes or on your phone later on, um, each podcast has its own post, and you can comment on each broadcast. So you can just go, come to this broadcast and put your your two cents in. We'd love to hear it. Um, and then as far as multitasking goes, that is something I feel like I'm the queen of. But at times when I have my computer and let's say I'm trying to be with the family in the evening and send out an email post, you know, m- many of you listening are on our email list, it can take me, I would say, another one or two hours longer if I'm trying to watch TV. And if I just take my computer and go somewhere else and get it done, I can be done much faster. So it takes me a long time to do it anyway because there's a lot of pieces to one of the emails I send out. But um, isn't that amazing, Woody, that it takes yes, it that is. much longer? Because I'm it, just not yeah. focused. You're right. So exactly. I can, I'm proof proof of that. You know, I, I, um, I, I, I think that I agree with the old axiom that all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Uh, without question, uh, we need to have some fun. But there, there is a time to work and a time to focus. And I would suggest that when you watch a television show or when you're texting with friends, you're probably not learning anything. 
you're probably you're probably just not learning anything. So, yes, do that. Uh, watch television, uh, a, a couple of shows a week that you like or whatever, and do text with your friends. Stay in touch. Uh, it's part of being a friend, but minimize that. Minimize that. There's a time to let your friends know that you've got work to do and that you're going to be signing off until tomorrow or whatever. Um, and right. if they really are friends, then they will understand. Uh, so just stay away from drugs and alcohol and minimize uh, the interference in your learning and your growth from technology or technical types of systems that are out Very there. Very good. Okay. Okay, let's go on by. Um, I am really sorry that we we started. Um, somebody asked a long time ago, one of you asked about impeaching the President of the United States. And uh, we started a talk on that last session, and it's been a long time since then, so I'm going to review what we talked about and try to finish this up. I'm not going to go into the detail that I prepared to go into. Uh, I'm just basically going to give you the skeletal structure. Now, we uh, read the preamble to the Constitution, and we saw and um, agreed that, I hope we agreed, that the Constitution was established by the people of the United States. Uh, for all the reasons listed in the preamble, the American people established that Constitution. The government did not establish the Constitution. The people did. We uh, saw, looked at that excerpt from uh, the Abraham Lincoln Gettysburg Address, one of the most profound uh, speeches in all of United States history. And this, this excerpt, of the excerpt is this, that the government of the people, by the people and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And I would suggest that there are forces in motion right now that would cause government of the people, by the people, for the people to perish. It does, he did not say of the government, by the government, for the government. did not say that. It's you and me. You and I have the freedom. You and I have the choice. You and I should have the ability to choose our health care, our doctor, whether to have health care, what company to go with. We should be able to choose to do those things. We talked about Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5. The House of Representatives has the power to impeach, which simply means that charges are formally brought. It takes a simple majority in the House. Republicans in the House could probably impeach the president right now, probably. There are moderate Republicans in the House that may not agree, and conservative Republicans in the House do not have a majority. So it would be a very interesting debate and vote. All right, we looked at Article 1, Section 3, Clause 6. The Senate holds the trial. The Senate is the jury uh, sitting in judgment of the president based on those impeachment charges. And when the president or vice president has been impeached and a trial occurs, the chief justice of the Supreme Court will preside over the trial. We looked at the president's oath of office, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 9. And part of that comes from the last line of Article 2, Section 3 that we also looked at that says that he shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And um, there are many who believe that the president um, 
has not faithfully executed the laws passed by Congress and signed by himself or by former presidents, and that for that reason he should be impeached. One such person is the Lieutenant Governor David Dewhurst of Texas, who says, I think this president, Barack Obama, has disregarded federal law. He's tried to do things which are not authorized under federal law, such as with immigration. And by the way, he did tell the uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency not to enforce the law, period. And not allowing our federal drug laws, not following our federal drug laws. And like I said, like we said earlier in this uh, particular episode, uh, he is not interested in enforcing that law. He's created winners and losers out of Obamacare where he has no authority, such as allowing for the unions and big business to postpone their mandates for a year. And that's not what the law says. He is not faithfully executing the laws, is what the lieutenant governor is saying. And then we have Senator Ted Cruz who says this. Over and over again, this president has said, I don't care what the law is, I'm going to refuse to enforce it. And we have seen quite a bit of that. And with respect to immigration, I'm not going to enforce the immigration laws against certain individuals. And we saw that with the drug law. This, again, is Senator Ted Cruz. I'm just going to pretend these laws don't exist and not enforce them. And he's not going to enforce federal drug law against Colorado. All right, that's we. That's what we covered last time. Now we have another interesting. Um, there doesn't seem. I mean, you, you guys are following current events the same as I am. I'm not hearing much of any discussion about impeaching Barack Obama. I'm not hearing that. And uh, we talked about that earlier. It becomes a political thing. Last time, you know, with Bill Clinton, when he was impeached, that backfired. Republicans got hurt in the polls, although they did win the next election. Um, so it's debatable. What would happen if the House of Representatives did vote? And for all you and I know, maybe John Boehner or some staffer that works for John Boehner has already done a head count, and maybe they know that they can't get a vote for impeachment. And so they're not going to bring it up. Maybe they think it's smarter to wait until after the election of November 2014. I don't know. I'm, I'm not hearing this. I'm not seeing this. I'm not getting any information on that. All right, so Trey Gowdy, uh, who is a senator from and a, uh, a former, uh, no, he's a representative, a former uh, prosecutor from South Carolina, said that, says that that because of, of Obama administration's deliberate flouting of the law, that he has reached an unprecedented level, claiming that, and he said now the time is right for Congress to take the White House to court over executive overreach. Not impeachment, basically a lawsuit, a lawsuit against the president. And he talked about this House resolution that has been passed that authorizes a congressional lawsuit against anybody in the executive branch, including the president. Individual uh, members of the House couldn't do that, but because of this resolution, the House of Representatives could. So in place of or instead of impeachment, maybe we're going to see a lawsuit, although once again, I'm spending an hour to two hours a day 
and current news, um, several stations spend probably the, uh, half of that time on Fox News. I'm not hearing any discussion of this issue either, except that one time uh, with Representative Trey Gowdy. And he okay. says, "We this is a quote, we have seen it with Obamacare where provision after provision, he says, with big business, I'm not going to enforce against them for a year. For members of Congress, even though Obamacare applies to members of Congress, I, President Obama, am going to refuse to enforce the law. And now most strikingly, just last week, in response to people losing their insurance and more getting ready to lose their insurance, he simply says, fine, we won't enforce that part of the law. And again, we've got to go back to Article 2, Section 3. Directives to the President by the Constitution. He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. So, yeah, there's grounds for impeachment and there's grounds for a lawsuit. So let's okay, sum that up. Let me let me jump okay. in. Um, Trey Radel is actually from Southwest Florida. He's the one who just No, this is Trey Gowdy. Okay, because you said Trey Radel earlier in our in our discussion, so I, I just want to clarify that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, but we'll listen to the replays and find out. So yeah, do um, that, do you, please. Yeah, and I'm pretty also, sure I said he, Trey Gowdy. That might have sounded yeah. like Radel. Okay, and he also um, has pushed for impeaching Obama too. So I was just online looking. So Trey Radel did as well, but anyway, okay. he's got his own his own problems. So yeah, go ahead and sum up. Okay, summing up, uh, possible impeachment charges or possible lawsuit charges if Representative Trey Gowdy, not Radel, Gowdy gets his way. He had a suspended Affordable Care Act employer mandate. He had suspended Affordable Care Act union mandate. He has suspended the Affordable Care Act congressional mandate. So all those people are given a pass. Why do they get a pass and nobody else does? Why do millions of Americans, why have millions of Americans, why are they suffering pain? Why do they no longer have health care? Why didn't he suspend it for everybody? Why didn't he agree with um, Republicans in Congress and delay the whole thing for a year? Okay. So definitely, um, he has ordered insurance companies to reinstate policies without Affordable Care Act requirements, such as maternity care, contraception, and abortion, and maternity benefits. Well, he can't do that and faithfully execute the law at the same time because that's what the law requires. It's a bad law in that respect. And I did want to talk about, by the way, uh, while, while we're here, I just – in case you haven't heard about it, take a look at a, um, a thing called Little Sisters versus Sibelius. I'm sure that most of you have probably heard of it. It's a Catholic, uh, Little Sisters of the Poor. It's a Catholic uh, relief humanitarian organization. It's been in place since the 19th century that helps people um, in need. And they basically asked for a hearing um, and uh, they got one with the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court issued an injunction against the requirements that they provide health care that includes 
contraception and abortion. So this is probably going to be a Supreme Court case, um, the results of which we'll hear about in June. So look that up. We'll talk about it next week, I promise. Now, Felice, hold me to that promise. Um, what we might call bureaucratic malfeasance. Malfeasance means uh, to do wrong in office. Uh, Department of Justice confiscated a Associated Press emails without a warrant. The IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, targeted private groups like the Tea Party. National Security Agency is spying on Americans and foreign allies without a warrant. And who's the chief executive? The President of the United States. He is responsible. And I doubt very seriously if the Department of Justice's confiscation of Associated Press emails, IRS singling out and targeting the Tea Party, conservative Republicans, and National Security Agency spying on Americans' foreign allies, I doubt if any of of those things were done without the President's knowledge. And I think that it could be proven that records could be found to prove that he did know about and authorize those actions. Next, he ordered Immigrations and Customs Enforcement not to enforce immigration laws. He's made recess appointments. I don't have time to show you in the Constitution, so why don't you write this down? On January the 4th, 2012, the President invoked a recess appointments clause, and there is no such clause. So to get the language on this, write this down. Please look at Article 2. Section 2, the last line. And also look at Article 1, Section 2, Clause 2. There is nothing in the Constitution that gives the President of the United States the power to declare that Congress is in recess. It does say that he can make recess appointments. But Congress has to be in recess. And as you'll see in Article 1, Section 2, Clause 2, only the two houses agreeing together can decide to recess, what they call adjournment. All right, so he says that they're in recess, and then he appointed three new uh, Obama-friendly liberal members to fill the vacant seats on the National Labor Relations Board, a very important agency that deals with labor and with labor unions in the United States. Uh, So he's got three allies uh, now on that board. And, by the way, um, shortly after that happened, the third federal appeals court ruled that President Obama violated the Constitution when he made recess appointments to the National Labor Relations Board, adding more weight to the case as it goes before the Supreme Court in the justices' next session, which is now. They are now in in the session that we're talking about. So the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, two-to-one decision, said that the president can only make recess appointments after Congress has adjourned signed die. That means indefinitely. Uh, So he he is using Article 1, Section 2, Clause 2, and you do need to see that language. And this in modern times has meant when it breaks – at the end of each year. So wow. President Obama so, apparently is paying, playing footloose and fancy free with the law 
and with the Constitution. And uh, this is a pretty powerful stuff. Uh, right. But is it grounds for impeachment? And that's something Republicans in the House of Representatives, since they have the power to impeach, something they have to decide. So the, uh, here's a question, Woody. Um, is the president being advised to do this, or is he coming up with this himself? Uh, he's, he is being advised. Um, no president acts, acts alone. Every president is surrounded. I, uh, all of my life I've been, well, not all my life, but since the 1960s, I've been studying presidential administrations because I teach history and government. And right. uh, every president, one of the things that we do when a new president is elected is we watch very carefully to see who he selects, not only to be um, uh, heads of cabinet positions, but also to be on his own personal White House staff. Who are the people that he is selecting? What's their background? What's their political ideology? Um, or ideologically, ideology is pronounced both ways, by the way. Um, so, so who are the people advising the president? And we've also seen that some presidents um, are strong presidents, like Ronald Reagan, and they control their advisors and they control their cabinet, while at the same time listening to them for advice and counsel. And other presidents seem to be more under the control of their immediate advisors and. As, as I look at the Obama administration, of course they do a lot of a lot of this stuff in secret. I mean, they have millions of hours of discussion that you and I will never hear about. But I get the sense that this is a weak president, and that he is being more controlled by very powerful forces, both within and outside the government, in the liberal community. Uh, people like George Soros and uh, Warren Buffett, uh, billionaires, and organizations uh, like the um, uh, abortion organizations, the uh, NARAL, for example, Planned Parenthood, um, same-sex organizations, environmental organizations that basically are telling the president, we support you, you support us. Uh, we get you in office, you give us the rewards in terms of policy and money, and we're seeing this happen. So I think that um, I think there's a whole bunch of people out there pulling the puppet strings to the puppet called Barack Obama. That is my impression. That's just an impression. I could not uh, prove it or even document it um, to, mm -hmm. an, to the extent that it would be uh, acceptable to a good historian, let's say. Right. <laughs> but that's just that's my sense about him. Okay. So good question. Right. Very good question. Very good question. Where are these ideas coming from? Uh, well, he is a part of a group, and um, right. their their ideas and their agenda are socialist, and they are anti-free market, and they are anti-constitution, and they are anti-church. So, there's the battle. Right. The lines are drawn. Right. And we only have a few minutes, so uh, what would you like to leave us with today as uh, we close out the show? Please, stay away from drugs and alcohol. Don't ever be enticed into that behavior. And think about how much time you are spending on frivolous pursuits, that is fun stuff, versus learning. And um, 
you know, put your eggs in the learning basket, basically. Those are the two thoughts I would like to leave you with. Follow current events religiously. Next week we're going to talk about Little Sisters versus Sibelius. And we're also going to talk about global warming. And we're going to look at the Constitution in connection with those things. You might also want to look up the, um, uh, some, some information to go to a few websites on the federal judicial branch and see how it's organized, what's in it, and how it works. And that will Very help good. you understand Little Sisters versus Sibelius. Okay? Wonderful. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again. Um, it was a wonderful session, and uh, we will uh, hear you again next week. And thank all of you, and thank you for your excellent questions, and um, looking forward again uh, to talking with you next week. Very good. And before I play the outro here, I want to encourage all of you who are listening uh, to go to Spreaker, and that is S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, and if you go to that website and you look up current issues and the Constitution, uh, you will find us there. And we ask that you follow us and help us to get on iHeartRadio. We need 100 followers. And I believe we are at something like 12 right now. <laughs> so we've got a little ways to go. Um, but I just put the word out yesterday, and we already have 12 followers. So I appreciate that. And we would love to uh, be found in one more place bringing uh, constitutional issues and truth to those uh, who welcome it. Uh, so thanks again um, for, for that. And also uh, liking us on iTunes helps as well. So we really appreciate that. So thank you so much, and we will get with you again next week. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.